the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Let's it be, y'all. Let's it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Twenty years ago, three young friends realized they were witches. They scattered to different parts of the world, following magic and spirit. Now, they're back in their hometown to share what they've learned. Welcome to That Witch Life Podcast, your home for living as a witch in today's world. Hello, witches. Welcome to another episode of That Witch Life Podcast. This is Kanani, and I am going to be hosting this episode. I am joined by my fellow co-hosts, Hillary. Hello. And Courtney. Hi, everybody. It is almost Samhain and Halloween and Dia de los Muertos. So we're super excited because we are going to be joined later by Monica Devane. And she's going to be talking to us about modern practices for Dio de los Muertos. And But before that, Courtney is going to be talking to us about the blue moon coming up, which we've had lots of listeners writing in asking us about. Yes. Um, it's a very magical time, very powerful time. And Hillary is also going to be talking to us about ginger. So how is everybody doing? I'm going to have come little children stuck in my head for the rest of my life, but I love it. So I'm okay with it. Oh my God. (laughs) So you're going to be creepy for the rest of your life then. Well, I mean, I was already that way. I'm just leaning into it more. It's like what Dolly Parton said, figure out who you are and be it on purpose. I'm the creepy witch with the house full of Halloween decorations, beckoning the small children with the large candy bars, except not really this year because of COVID. I will be passing them out with tongs though. um, If anybody actually comes by. For anyone that wonder, is wondering what the hell Courtney is talking about, um, if you are on our Patreon, we did a viewing of Hocus Pocus. Yes, and it was so much fun. It was so we really it. fun. Courtney had yeah. never seen it, which is like a witch failure on her part, um, but it was really fun. To my credit, I tried to watch it on an airplane last year. But you and I felt I mean, even if it was last year, dude, that thing came out in the 90s. I know. Right? You know, it came out at an age, I was 12, and so you're too cool for kids' stuff, but you don't really get into, like, the super scary stuff, so I kind of fell in that weird space where you're like, you don't like anything when you're 12, and I just never picked it back up. Fail. (laughs) I was hoping you'd say fair and said you said fail. <laughs> well, I mean, you've had from 12 to now to yeah, watch I know. It. Jesus. I know. Well, but you know what? At least I'm here now. I've joined it's the true. team. It's true. I found, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm with us. <laughs> I'm with us. <laughs> I'm with us. I'm, I'm in. Oh my God. That's so funny. Um, what have I been up to? Uh, this is our last couple of days with our foster pig, Walter. So... We've been uh, hang, hang, having a lot of Walter hangouts and also people rushing over to meet Walter before he heads to his forever home. Um, and so that's been kind of fun. And uh, I did a really lovely uh, class with QMEB with Erica Fortner. 
Um, they, they did a scrying class, which was really interesting. Um, so I did that, which was lovely. She's a great teacher, so um, and her classes are always really interesting and informative, so that was really nice. Um, Speaking of people rushing over to see Walter, the kids and I went over to Hillary's house this morning before the Hocus Pocus viewing because I know that he's going to his forever home soon, and the kids kept watching videos of him. And we have lots of friends with lots of different animals, and my kids are obsessed with animals. We watch animal documentaries all the time. And you don't really get that many, like, in-person opportunities necessarily to, like, pet a pig. And so I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to have to do this. This has to be a priority. So, of course, for breakfast, I usually try and make my kids a hot breakfast on the weekends. And today was cinnamon rolls and sausage. Mm. Well, apparently my kids don't like sausage. They only like bacon. So I had to yell at them and tell them that if they didn't eat their sausage, that they couldn't go play with the pig. Oh my God. So as soon as I said it, I'm like, yeah, if you don't eat the pig, you don't get to play with you're the pig. Like, you're like, wow, that's a very fucked up thing I just said. Yeah. Is, this, is this disturbing? I'm sitting here like, is this just because sometimes I'm just kind of dense when it comes to what's disturbing. And so I'm like, was that disturbing what Kanani just did right there? I mean... <laughs> It could be deemed disturbing yes. depending on your viewpoint. If you don't eat the pig, then you can't go pet the pig. Like that's that's <laughs> how this works. So then after I forced them to eat the pig, then we went and played with the pig. And it was actually really fun. And I still have dirt on my legs from Walter because I didn't I still have not changed. Because we went over there and he has his like filthy, filthy nose, and he just kept like rubbing his nose on my pant the bottom of my pant legs. And, and my ankles. And so I, yeah, he's like pig nose dirt on my, on my legs. He's like, snout marks. yeah, sn- snout marks. He's like, um, this seems like a good place to clean up, clean off my nose. Like, exactly. I am, I am his, per- I was his personal hanky. And so I still have pig nose dirt all over me, but the kids he's- had a good time. And, um, they, they, as soon as we get in the car and we're leaving, they're like, we want a pet pig. I'm like, oh my God. Well, everyone, God. Wants, I'm like, everyone wants a pet pig, but we're not going to have one. 100% I'd have a pig before I had a dog. Also, pigs are smarter than dogs and more mischievous. So if having a dog would overwhelm you, having a pig is like next level. I could, I could do a pig because the thing that I don't like about one of the reasons I will not have a dog is because of how dependent they are. Pigs are just as dependent. Pigs pigs can be in their pen and have their space and they still need care. It's not that I I have no problem with the care. It's the, you know, a pig's not going to try and go to the grocery store with me. Like, that's just not going to happen. Like, But it will dig out from underneath the pen and follow you to the grocery store. Yeah, it will like dig a hole under the fence and try and find you at the grocery store. Or it might... Um, eat every herb you have in your herb garden, or it might try and dig a hole in your nice planter. I mean, like they are totally awesome, but I want to be clear to those going, oh, a pig would be fun. It's it's very similar to having a dog um, and they take just as much training because they're very smart. Uh, But the thing that they need is more than most dogs is mental stimulus. So it actually takes a lot, you know, like either they, they especially if you only have one pig, like you, they have to have a lot of mental stimulus because they're very intelligent. So they get bored easily. And when they're bored, 
they become very destructive. They like start just ripping up everything. So it's like, it's not so different than having a dog. There's my spiel. (laughs) You're like today's Bob Barger. Please spay and neuter your pets. Also do your research before adopting your pig. I mean, like, yeah. Do your freaking research before you adopt anything. Well, I just did a very delicious new moon cleanse on the house. Um, We had not had a good deep floor wash since before the fires. So as we talked about about a month ago, I didn't want to do any smoke cleansings in the house because I was so sick of breathing smoke. And also we really couldn't vacuum because it just takes, kicks up more dust. And so the last new moon, I didn't do a floor wash because you can't really do a floor wash until you vacuumed first. But we've now moved past that enough to be able to do it. And I tell you, I just feel so much better. I just felt like whenever I do a floor wash, I find myself having a moment where I start, I relive arguments for a moment or I relive moments that are uncomfortable. And then once that's done, I find myself not revisiting them again for a while. Um, and so it's been really, it's been really helpful. And I had a dream last night where everybody, I don't remember what was going on. I just remember that everybody was happy, like hanging out with people and being in a good space. And my husband said this morning, the house just feels good. So I'm just thankful that now we can do our house cleansings again. And it felt really like the right time to do a nice deep cleanse before we go into Samhain and the new year. And yeah, which, and, um, this, this energy around this time of year can be very heavy anyway. And, with um, as much as we have going on with the pandemic and um, and like a lot of, of angst and negativity around the election, at least in our home, it feels nice and calm. So that was my thing of the week, my witch thing of the week, which I am, I'm savoring. And I always get so lazy just before I want to do a floor wash. I try to talk myself out of it because it involves pulling out the herbs, researching which ones I want to do, boiling them, mixing it up, and then mopping, which is not my favorite chore. But God, when it's done, I feel so much better. So much better. Um, this floor wash this time was mostly herbs that I pulled from my yard. Um, some that people gave me, but I used lemon balm, um, and Harry bittercress from Kanani and I harvested a bunch of that out of our yard and, um, a little bit of dill for luck, um, some salt and, um, just boiled that up for a while. A uh, nettle. I also used nettle. That was the herb that someone gave me. And all of those herbs are really good for removing negativity and drawing luck and uh, peace in the home. So um, I prayed over it, um, and I, I waved um, waved a feather over it just to you know make sure that the water knew what its job was, which was to cleanse and protect our home. And God, I feel good. I just I just need to do that more often. Yeah, you know, every- if I just get better about my weekly personal cleansings, I think I'd be a great witch. I know. Yeah, I every time I do like I did a. I think I said this in. I don't know. I've done this a couple times and I don't know which episode I mentioned it on, but uh, every time I do like a cleansing of a space, like I did not that long ago, one on my workspace because I was like feeling really unfocused and really like kind of scattered and sluggish. And then I did like a cleansing uh, of my workspace and I was like, hi, so much better. I feel like happy to come into my workspace now. I'm not like, ugh, that room, you know, so it makes a big difference. Because we, we pretty much just have carpets. What I usually do will be like, 
I'll spray my ocean water and sometimes I'll put essential oils and whatnot mm. and baking soda, mm. sprinkle that around and just kind of vacuum it. Um, but why don't you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about the blue moon magic coming up? You know, it's funny. I feel like, uh, you know, there's all those memes were going on saying, you guys don't screw up Halloween for us because it is a blue moon, a full moon and it's daylight savings time, um, is, you know, is ending. And so we have a, or no, a beginning, right? Whatever, whatever makes the night longer is what's happening on Halloween. And so a lot of people were upset because they may not be able to go out and run around, which is its own sadness. But magically speaking, I think we're really getting a benefit because it's like the spirits are saying, sit in your rooms and make some serious magic. You can't go anywhere. This is a real gift. So a little bit of background. So in North America, the full moon in October is called the hunter's moon. Um, Historically, this was a time when the harvest was finished and many of the hunts concluded. So the food stores were generally full. So magically speaking, this is an excellent moon for, for preservation and protection of what is going well. So look around, take stock of what is, is going really well for you in your life and consider doing additional protections on those things to help keep your, your, your good luck going or to grow it throughout the year. So one of the ways to do this is to get a jar um, and fill it with effigies of things that are going well. So maybe a business card, if you've had success with business this year, um, a note of paper money from your wallet. Like in the US, we might use a single dollar bill. Um, doesn't need to be a giant bill, but maybe just maybe a buck or something like that. Um, if your money has been good, um, maybe it's a picture of you and your beloveds if, um, or your beloved person if your relationships have been really nourishing this year. Um, other things like acorns or nuts, which can really represent health. Um, anything that's evocative of the blessings that you have going on. In a pinch, you can always just write them down on a piece of paper. Um, consider including some of your own personal, what they call curios, which are parts of yourself that it's, it's kind of attracting these energies to your physical form. So, um, this may sound kind of gross, but sometimes witchcraft gets gross. So like some fingernail clippings or some snippet of your hair, or some people do saliva or something like that and place these things in with the symbols of your uh, blessings in a jar with um, protective herbs or herbs that um, draw protect luck. So a couple of things that are really helpful with protecting or drawing luck include salt. So imagine like you are salting and curing and preserving the things that are really going well for you. Um, rice is another good one, dried beans or black eyed peas. So a common practice, this, this um, a lot of my magic is was taught to me by hoodoo practitioners. So I want to name that first. And so that's where a lot of this is coming from. And a common practice within hoodoo is to, you know, if you have a jar, which represents the things that you um, are, are, um, are good for, you know, or you want to protect is to burn a candle on top of it, letting the wax burn down and drip around the jar, effectively sealing it in. A lot of people use white candles, um, which are good for full moon magic. I like white because it's kind of an all purpose candle. And also it mimics the, um, the, the white light of the full moon, but you can also use black. And I like black candles because they really cover and protect. All right. It's just kind of like putting a cloth over something. It's not, no one's going to see it. So it's, it, it provides the additional benefit 
of protecting your luck from potentially the, like what people call the evil eye or jealousy or people that may not have your best intentions at heart and start looking at you through social media and kind of growling. Cause you, you have some things going on for yourself that they would like to have going on for themselves. And so, um, black wax is good for covering that and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, my stuff's protected. Nobody notices all the good stuff that I have going on. So this year, the hunter's moon falls on Halloween on October 31st and a full moon only happens on Halloween about every 18 to 19 years. Okay. Because of Halloween or Samhain um, or Dia de los Muertos, whatever your preferred term is for this time of year, because of this holiday's connections to ancestors and because a generation is typically 18 to 19 years, this year's Hunter's Moon is a particularly powerful full moon to work on generational healing. Okay. So, what this might mean is consulting your ancestors for their help in healing rifts among the living relatives or hear, um, healing generational patterns that hurt. So for example, if your great-great-grandparent was under extreme duress due to their living circumstances, maybe they had an abusive spouse, maybe they were living in poverty. Um, a lot of our ancestors, a couple, you know, were, were dealing with these things. Um, chances are good that you are still affected by that, um, whether this is actually in your DNA or because of habits that were um, put into the family in a, as a way of surviving and navigating the situation that may or may not still be applicable to the way that you live. So, you know, I have some very anxious ancestors myself. And so I do a lot of work on, um, on healing what the, the injuries that they had that caused them anxiety. So I don't have anxiety about similar things that really, that really don't have the, the same kind of level of, um, of intensity. Um, other things that can be patterns within families, um, attraction to unstable relationships, unhealthy relationships with food or money or otherwise, this is a really good time to start working to heal these rifts so that they are not passed down to future generations. So this can be done by making offerings on an ancestor altar and praying for the healing and elevation of the injured ancestors. If you are comfortable, and only if you are comfortable, okay, in praying in the religion of your ancestors, that is often a very quick and easy way to help them as they are going to know those prayers, all right? However, if you have trauma around your ancestors' religion, if you were abused through your ancestors' religion, you do not need to return to that to help them elevate. Likewise, if your ancestors harmed you, right, you don't, you don't owe it to them. Okay. So this is, these are decisions you have to make for yourself. Um, but these are just options of things that you could do, but nobody has to do any of this. Now, if you do want to pray for the elevation and healing of your ancestors and you don't want to go through their religion, again, absolutely understandable. Um, pagan gods and spirits are always more than happy to help. There are some gods who are better with ancestry and healing than others, but in truth, all of them have the capability to help with healing and ancestor elevation. So go with the ones you feel the most comfortable with. Okay. So say, uh, say that you are, you do a lot of um, work and you're in relationship with the goddess Bridget, not typically known for as much ancestor work, but she could do it. Now may not be the time to say, switch over and start working with Hades. If you're not familiar and don't already have that relationship. Cause so just, just, you know, be realistic with yourself and say, okay, my gods and spirits may not be necessarily, um, gods that work with ancestors, but they can help out in a pinch. Right. So, um, one, so, oh, I was just going to say one other thing too, is that it's not, 
you working with your ancestors doesn't mean you have to work with every ancestor. Exactly. Just throwing that out there. I mean, there are some of mine that that are not that I don't feel appropriate working with, and that's yeah. totally cool for you to do too. Exactly. And that's what Queen Mother said when we interviewed her back in March. Mm. She said something like, some belong on your altar, some belong in the photo book, and some don't belong in your house at all. So I, again, repeating what what I said earlier, making it very clear, you don't owe all of your ancestors things, but this, if you feel like this is work you're called to do, that it might be helpful to you in the now, this is a good time to do it. So these are just resources and ideas. Um, I will be recording a healing ancestors meditation and we'll have it on our Patreon page. So that's available if you would like to use it. And I also want to say this should, if at all possible, be combined with therapy. Um, And oftentimes ancestors will lead you to resources sources that can help you heal yourself. So just this work on its own um, is not necessarily going to be all the work you should do. So be open to try to get um, yourself um, some help. And the reason why this can be very important and beneficial work, not just for your ancestors and children, your ancestors and yourself, but also for future generations. So even if you do not have children or are not planning to have children, you still have an influence on children just because you're in the world. So it is doing um, a service when when appropriate and when it's um, with specific ancestors that you're, you're ready to work with to help make, make make us all stronger as part of you know this this human family. Now, this Halloween is also a blue moon. So a blue moon is called as such not because it looks blue, but because it's the second full moon within a month, which happens only about once every two and a half years. So that phrase once in a blue moon means it doesn't happen very often. So blue moons um, simply have more energy than other full moons. And so it's a really great time to turn up the volume on your magic altogether. So be strategic though, not scared, but strategic on what you choose your magic for. This doesn't mean to, you know, to wring your hands about it, to be worried about it. Um, I know that phrase, be careful what you wish for, what you might get it. That happens with all magic. Definitely ask for the things that you want. Just don't be flippant about it. Um, you know, and don't be nebulous. I remember I, I knew a person, a witch who said I did, they did a spell for abundance. They just wanted abundance. Well, they got abundance of everything. They had some incredible good fortune in um, in moving their name forward and, and putting themselves out there in the work they want to do. They also lost their home. So they had an abundance of joy and opportunity and also an abundance of sorrow. So what I would have said to this witch is, why, you know, what an abundance of what is it? Is it, you know, do you want joy? Do you want love? Um, you want money or success? And just ask for those things. Don't just say abundance. Right. And so that's really careful to be very clear and strategic when you're doing your magic on this blue moon. So um, if you've not yet um, developed a, a working practice with your ancestors and you want to do practice with your ancestors, this is a good time to do it. So the creation of an ancestor altar or a shrine or cleaning up and improving the one you have is is likely to help strengthen um, that relationship with them in, in an even more powerful way than on other time, other years at this time of year. But be very mindful about what promises you make to them, especially this year. So if you like say to your ancestors, I really need help with getting a new job and I'm going to make you dinner every Sunday night for the next 52 weeks, make sure you have the time, space, and resources to actually make that dinner. You might want to think about 
keeping it simple, maybe it's coffee or tea on Sunday mornings instead of a full dinner for them every Sunday, because life happens. You don't know where you'll be six months from now or what kind of responsibilities you'll have. So if you are making promises this year, just make sure that you are very, again, very clear about them and also that it's something you can, um, strategically do. So Halloween um, is typically a very busy time of year, even if we're all staying home, um, but especially if you have children. So if you're planning to do a dumb supper, which is when um, preparing a meal and eating in silence, leaving a plate for the ancestors, you can do it on the 31st. That's great. But to be honest, you can do it up to a week after um, the actual Halloween itself. I mean, many of the astrological Samhain is several days after Halloween. So you're not missing the boat. Uh, my husband and I typically do our, uh, our dumb supper a few days after actually Halloween, whatever is, is more is easier for our schedule. So we can be clear headed and clear minded to do it in an effective way. Um, other things you can do that will help strengthen relationships with your ancestors. If you live, live close to where your ancestors are buried, this is a good time or day to visit their graves, tend to them, clean them up. If you do not live close to your ancestors, but you would like to do this kind of work, visiting a neglected grave is a great way to honor the dead as well as build up potential bonds with spirit helpers. Again, the dead are just like people. Some are going to be, a lot of people are really good and mean well. Not everybody does. Um, And so you just want to be careful in who you work with. Maybe don't start inviting spirits home that you don't know very well and making agreements with spirits you don't know very well. Give it a few times and, and really trust your instincts on this, on this sort of thing. Um, And, and um, if you do visit a cemetery, make sure that you make three stops on your way home. Um, suggestions like as you're leaving, stop by the gas station, the grocery store, and the post office. Or you can cross a body of water, like a river or a creek. Um, I tend to do both just to be on the safe side to ensure that the spirits do not follow you home. Another thing you can do is when you leave the cemetery is turn in a circle backwards to your left three times and then stomp your left foot. That is a, those two are practices that keep the spirits from actually following you home into your house or attaching to you. So that's what I've got. I hope that is um, helpful to everybody. First of all, I love hearing about, I love it when you talk about the moons that are coming up, whether it be a full moon or a new moon. But this one I was particularly interested in because I haven't done work, magic work on a blue moon before. So thanks for, for adding that all in there. That's super exciting. And I'm excited to utilize it for my own practice. I'm stoked. I think the the suggestions on also on uh, kind of behaviors once you've left a cemetery were helpful. I think that's something that, um, you know, not everybody really thinks about when you go into the cemetery, that you kind of need to be mindful about what you might bring home. So I think those are some really good suggestions as well as, as to ways to kind of protect yourself from, you know, any any spirits or whatnot that are kind of looking for someone to to kind of follow around. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, raise up that so much of the work that I've learned with ancestors and this kind of work all comes from, um, my teachers in the hoodoo tradition. So I just want to raise and elevate them and say, thank you, um, for, you know, for sharing this knowledge with me and that I hope it's helpful to others as well. So Hillary also had some amazing suggestions as to uses for ginger, which I think sounded really cool. Yes, it's true. Uh, ginger is, one of my favorite plants to work with, well, root, it's it's a plant and a root. So you can use multiple parts of the plant. I usually use the root. It's also easy to find in a grocery store, whether it be in like ground ginger or fresh root. Um, so ginger is really good for working in a couple of different areas. Uh, first of all, so it is actually, 
as as many warming things are, it is a it is an aphrodisiac. So it's good in love spells, in sex magic. Um, it is also known for being really good with money, success, and confidence and prosperity. So if you're working on um, if you're doing work around money or trying to bring in success, or if you're trying to kick that career up to the next level, it can be a really good um, plant to use for that. Um, another interesting thing about ginger is it it will, as you know, ginger is very, very strong to the taste. So what it also does magically is it kicks any spell you want or any spell you're doing up to like the next level. So it kicks it into a higher gear. I say this because it can be incredibly powerful to use in that sense, but also be really wary of using it uh, or using too much of it. If you put a shit ton of ginger in a spell jar or you're doing a spell in which you're using a ton of ginger, just be careful because you might be asking for something and then you might get like an intense version of what you've asked for because ginger really packs a, packs a strong punch both in its taste and in its magical use. Um, I remember Jake Richards said that when we, when he yes. was on the show and that somebody had, that somebody had put some ginger in a, um, in a spell and was like, this worked way better than I intended it to. And I don't know what to do with the results. And Jake exactly. said, hmm, careful with the ginger. A little goes a long way. Exactly. It really does. And he's so spot on. I mean, I've used ginger. I don't use it that often, but when I have used it, um, it's usually reserved for times when I need a boost. I don't use it willy-nilly um, because, again, you know... So, for instance, if you're using it in a love spell or, a, or if you're using it in sex magic, you want to make sure that you're using the right proportion because, again, while it might be really good for those things, it also packs that punch. So just use your intuition. Don't be willy-nilly about how much you're using. Um, and you know, know that it can really enhance what you're doing in a positive way, but also can enhance it in an overwhelming way. Another thing that you can do is you can eat ginger before working magic. Um, it is supposed to increase, increase your own inner magic and energy. Um, again, be really cautious. You don't want to like come at something that you need to be subtle on and come at it with like a flamethrower, right? You gotta, be, <laughs> you gotta be careful, but it is really, really powerful. I mean, and again, you look at, you look at ginger and it's, you know, it's known as an aphrodisiac. It's known for its warming properties. It's another, it's also, you know, its taste is really, really strong. So when we're looking at plant usage, that's something to pay attention to. Here's a great example of that. When you taste ginger, it's like, whoo, it's hot. It's like really hot on your mouth. So you can imagine that it would be good for love because things that are warm, plants that have warming properties or spices or herbs that have warming properties often are good in love and sex magic. Um, and, and, but also, but also can be very strong in, in the type of magic. So, um, I really, I love using ginger. Like I said, I don't use it super frequently because I, I often find it pass, you know, packs such a big punch. Um, and so I use it when I need to kick something up to the next year, or if I'm trying to, uh, bring in, especially when I'm working on self-love, it's, I, I have found it's been really helpful in self-love, but in small quantities. So, Use wisely, but it is a really, really powerful plant. Um, and I really like using it in spell jars specifically. Um, but I also I also love eating it. So I think if you're doing a ritual and you want to enhance your own energy, eating it ahead of time is a great way to do it. I know for some people, I know some people really hate the flavor of ginger, but I love it. I could eat it all day. 
Jen, it's it's definitely one of those. I think I, I think it falls in the love or hate it category as far as eating ginger because it is kind of such a dynamic and powerful taste. You either really like it or you are not a fan. I also imagine like if you wanted to, so like the root of ginger, and I'm just like, this is on in a theoretical sense, but the root of ginger packs the, the most strength. So I wonder if using a leaf on the plant or using a different part of the plant would make a difference. Although unless you're growing it, you probably won't find that. So probably what most people are going to find is, um, is either the root in its root form at, uh, you know, in a supermarket or in, in a ground form, um, on the spice aisle. Definitely. And Courtney, you had a couple shout outs for us. Yes, there are a couple of events we want to make sure that everybody is aware of. So um, I am teaching a class called The Dangerous Goddess. I taught it a couple of weeks ago, saw some of our listeners there, and that was really exciting. And um, I'm teaching it again uh, through Pathways Books in St. Louis, Missouri, but it is all virtual. And I'm teaching it at 7 p.m. Central Time on November the 10th. Tickets are now available, and we'll be talking about three different goddesses, Bridget, the Morgan, and um, Hakate, and the both the um, some of the more comfortable aspects of them, as well as the uncomfortable aspects of them, and really just how these goddesses are truly very powerful and extraordinary beings. And so there will be a link to that in our show notes page. And also just wanted to lift up a class that's coming out through the Irish Pagan school. It is a live online class on how to celebrate the Samhain Fire Festival in Irish paganism. It is led by Laura O'Brien, who was with us a couple of weeks ago. Um, It is going to be live online on Sunday, October 25th, but will be recorded. And so you can pick it up anytime. Um, They're covering um, the the name, the meanings and pronunciations, um, Irish history and traditions of the festival, Irish gods and goddesses associated with Samhain, shared native experiences and opinions, exercises, prompts, and a QA and a session during the actual live online class. Uh, Laura is a wonderful teacher and the, her classes are extremely scholarly, but also deeply spiritual. And so if you are interested in learning more about the origins of Samhain and how we can practice it anywhere around the world, um, go to the irishpaganschool.com um, hats backslash P backslash Samhain. Again, the link will also be available in our show notes. Uh, also a reminder for everybody that we have our new ancestor Samhain witch kit spell kits on our Etsy site. Um, please feel free to check those out. We've already mailed out quite a few. We've already gotten a amazing review, which I really appreciated. I think people will really enjoy the spell kits because it's got everything you need inside the kits. Um, and also a big thank you to everyone on our Patreon. We want to thank you to our supporters. Uh, this week we released a new moon spell for clarity and focus. And for our squad level at $5 a month or above, we had our first quarterly Witchtacular event which was our live viewing of Hocus Pocus that we had earlier. It was so much fun. Uh, That level also gets you access to our private Facebook page where you can connect with us and with other uh, Patreon witches supporting us and other ways you can support the show. If you can't do a monthly donation, you can buy us a coffee or buy that Witch Life merchandise on Etsy. You can also consider becoming an episode sponsor. It's a great way uh, to promote your business to thousands of witches You can also purchase a shout out to let people know about the incredible event you're hosting or wish your coven a happy Samhain since you all can't be together in person this year. 
You can find out more on our website at thatwitchlife.com. And I think we're ready for a word from our sponsor. Let's do it. We are all stuck inside, bored, trying to find things to do. There is pretty much no better time to focus on your witchcraft studies and increase your magical skills. That's why we are thrilled to have Sacred Mist Academy of Magical Arts and Sciences as an episode sponsor. Since 2002, Sacred Mist Academy has offered comprehensive online magical training programs with working witches around the world, including first through third degree Wicca training and an elder program available for initiates of the Sacred Mist tradition. Other programs include historical paganism, herbalist certifications, spellcrafting classes, tarot courses, Reiki training, and more. There are lots of enriching classes to choose from. Plus, if you just aren't getting enough of your That Witch Life hosts, our very own Courtney offers a spellcrafting and spellcasting certification through Sacred Mists. I've attended more than one of her classes over the years, and shh, don't tell her, but they're always pretty great. So get signed up and level up your spellcasting skills. All courses have their own private groups where students can gather and connect with other students. Students also have access to Sacred Mist Circle, a completely private, student-only social media platform, not Facebook, with profile pages, discussion boards, groups, blogs, a searchable book of shadows, videos, music, and more. Other Sacred Mist Academy social groups include witchcrafting, if you're interested in creating your own tools, a divination group to discuss decks and chair readings, empath groups to explore this gift and learn about shielding, healing, kitchen witchcraft, and more. Join the Sacred Mist live chats for rituals, live divination readings, study halls, and social gatherings for and by students. To enroll, go to sacredmistacademy.com and enter Witch Life during registration to receive free enrollment, a savings of $30. Monthly tuition then depends on which course or courses you take. Limit one per student, available until December 31st, 2020. Manifest the change you want to see in yourself and the world around you through Sacred Mists Academy. The Sacred Mists Academy is a tremendous learning resource, but guess what? Sacred Mists also has a shop, offering over a thousand witchcraft tools, supplies, and gifts, including crystals and gemstones, incense and candles, hand-rolled beeswax spell candles, and other spell supplies. This is literally a one-stop shop for witchcraft supplies. Sacred Mist Shop also offers over 75 plant seeds specifically curated for the witch's garden, including healing and magical herbs, flowers, and plant seeds, just a few of which include belladonna, mandrake, sweetgrass, moonflower, patchouli, elderberry, and mugwort, and so many more. Their divination tools include tarot and oracle decks and a gorgeous natural polished black obsidian scrying mirror with ornate antiqued brass stand available in two sizes. Sacred Mist Shop offers everything you need to set up your magical space, including wands, athames, hand-carved gemstones, runes, and wooden rune sets, god and goddess statuary, and more. They have everything a new witch could want and a bunch of other fun stuff and amazing things you didn't even know you needed until you're shopping there. The goddess statues are amazing and add so much energy to any altar. I love the bonsai wishing trees and had to have them. They're beautiful and a reminder of the energy I want to have around me. Plus, Sacred Mist Shop offers a wide variety of jewelry and books. Purchases at Sacred Mist Shop help support the education and training programs offered at Sacred Mist Academy. To get 10% off your purchase of 35 or more, 
Go to sacredmist.com and use code WITCHLIFE at checkout. Offer available until December 31st, 2020. Sacred Mist Shop, offering unique and handcraft witchcraft and Wicca supplies to the pagan community since 2002. Thank you to Sacred Mist Shop and Sacred Mist Academy for being an episode sponsor. I love supporting small farms and herbalists. Fox and Elder is a small farm just north of Nashville, Tennessee, run by Sarah Schuster, who is an herbalist, herb farmer, and plant witch. Their work not only offers a variety of herb-based products, but also offers education on homesteading and herb cultivation. Fox and Elder's products include teas and tinctures, including a line of tarot teas based on the major arcana. I'm a huge fan of elderberry syrup and love seeing that in their shop, as well as the calming down flower baths. Fox and Elder also offers a monthly zine called Full Moon Fill Up that offers tarot spreads, herbal profiles, and recipes. The Samhain issue will have a focus on ancestral work, a tarot spread for the full moon in Taurus, and an herbal profile on Skullcap. Fox and Elder also offers a podcast called Tending Seeds, which covers a variety of homesteading and herbalism topics available on all major platforms or directly on their website. So be sure to subscribe and add Tending Seeds to your listening rotation. Their podcast episodes follow the seasons and do deep dives into gardening and how to find powerful magic and healing in different herbs you can find in your yard or just along the road. As a witch who is learning more about having a witch's garden, there is a ton of valuable information given in each episode. To receive 15% off your first purchase of teas, tinctures, or a full moon zine subscription, go to foxandelder.com and enter code THATWITCHLIFE at checkout. Fox and Elder, meeting you where you are, offering a variety of ways to step into the plant path. Thank you to Fox and Elder for being an episode sponsor. We are back, everybody, and I just wanted to introduce our guest. Our guest today is Monica Devane, a queer, indigenous, Latinx bruja and a homeschooling mom of two. Her Mayan and Taino roots play a big part of her craft. She has been married for 16 years and is currently living in Central Florida. She is a merwitch and a hearth witch. Her home is her sacred space, and she loves to bake vegan food for her friends and family. You will usually find her crafting something new, raising monarchs, gardening, reading, dancing, hiking, hanging out in the beach or springs, and at Disney. Monica works for Veggie Mijas, which is a WOC NBPOC collective that focuses on veganism, decolonization, and environmental justice, and also as an Auror and part of the cheer squad in Potterhead Running Club. She's a geek and an activist and is teaching her boys to do so much good in this world. Welcome, Monica. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can I just say that I am so jealous that you live near Disney World? <laughs> Can I it's just like awesome. let that out into the world? <laughs> I am I am an absolute I am a fellow Disney head and that I actually have never been to Disney World. I have <gasps> been to Disneyland. I have yet to go to Disney World. So I am so jealous right now. I'm losing my oh, mind. I have never been to Disneyland. My, you know, goal one day is to do all of them, but I, I, I think Disney World is probably the best because it's the largest. 
It has, you know, technically it's six parks with water parks, but there's just so much to immerse yourself with. So I love it. <laughs> I actually, I have some friends who go uh, every year because apparently um, when they were interning, they interned at Disney World. And so they just have a love. They Once people kind of get involved, they just have a love of it and become obsessed. And so every year they, they've gone back and we were hanging out with them uh, last spring. And they, it was actually the first time I learned that you can't walk Disney World. It's not like Disneyland where you can walk from where Disney World actually has like like small trains and buses and oh, yeah. it's like a and trolleys. <laughs> it has highways and everything. It's its, its own little hub. That's so crazy. Any, anyways, I just I had to tell you I'm I'm so jealous of that. I think that's friggin' awesome. Um, I knew you two were basically long lost sisters when I said, Kanani, we're going to interview Monica and Monica is a mom and a witch and she loves the beach and she's obsessed with Disney. And, and Kanani was like, so she's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, one of the things we usually start out with our guests is we usually start out by asking, how did you know you were a witch or a magical person? Um. It is instinctive. Um, it's hard to put my finger on a, a point where I'm like, yes, I'm a witch, because it's just something that has been a part of me. It's it's a cultural thing as well. Um, learning things here and there, uh, mostly a lot of healing things and protective rituals that are passed down through generation to generation. So um, I think... When I really dove into my craft, it was when I was in college in New York City. So I want to say it's about like 2004, 2005, um, where I really threw myself into learning not just my um, cultural practices, but learning all different types of witchcraft and the history of other witchcraft and really getting more into magic and, and studying that. So one of the things um, that, as you mentioned, you were really lucky because you kind of were brought up into this as part of your culture. Um, what is something that you remember kind of as far as as a child, uh, what were some of the Dio de los Muertos practices that you kind of remember that maybe you've kept going forward with your own children? Well, actually, um, my my childhood is complicated, <laughs> to put it very very kindly, um, because my mother was like a fundamentalist Christian. Uh -huh. um, yes, yes. So, and you know what? In a lot of Hispanic households, you're going to find that some people cling to Catholicism and Christianity, um, and then there's other members who say they cling to Christianity and do something entirely different. Yep. <laughs> um, so it's really, that's why I said, like, it's me growing up seeing these things um, within our culture, within because I, I grew up actually in Hialeah. So I grew around uh, a very big Hispanic community. And so it's things that I noticed and picked up and I didn't really put two and two together until I was older. And I was like, oh, my gosh, they were doing a fertility spell with that egg. <laughs> you know, um, so in my specific household, my mother was very strict about um 
what I was exposed to. But at the same time, my father was from Honduras. That is my Mayan side. And my older siblings are Honduran as well. Um, and so I was raised the Honduran way, the, you know. And so I, I was really tapped into more of that aspect of my culture. Um, it, it was, like I said, it was something that wasn't really talked about openly. It was just something that was done. It's like, you don't even say, yeah, this person is a bruja. You just say, go to this person and they can help you out. Right. Yeah. They, it's, it's practicing the magic without referring to it as magic or acknowledging that it's magical. Mm Mm-hmm. So what, what is something that, that you do now that you've kind of become more aware of the cultural elements and whatnot of Dia de los Muertos? What is something that you do now with your family? Um, well, we have a central altar in our home. And so anyone who comes in is going to see it. And especially like it's in the middle of our home and our kids see it all the time. So we change it according to seasons and things like that. And they see... Like I have Ixchel on the altar. I have Yamaya on there. So they see like our, our main deities. Um, as it changes with seasons, they get to help sometimes decorate. And they have their own little altars as well. But for the main altar, like when it comes to Dia de los Muertos, we, you know, bring out, like I have monarchs all over the wreath this year because I raise monarchs. So for me, that's just something super special. Um, and we have, we are more colorful in our decoration than opposed to like, with just you do Sawen, it's mostly black, which is awesome. Like I love black and purple and those are my favorite colors. But for us, it's really a celebration of the people who have, you know, passed away, but they're still very much kept alive within us and within our memories and with what we do. So the way I teach my boys is that, you know, we come to the altar when we have like our skulls. I just actually acquired an obsidian skull. So I'm over the moon about that one. Um, and we have like little pumpkins, we have corn. Um, when it comes close to the time to decorate, we'll have like chocolate and things like that. Cause chocolate is the food of the gods. So chocolate is pretty big for us. Um, but they, they can see since the altar's in the middle of our home, they can see what we are practicing and it's an everyday part of their life. That's awesome. I feel like a way a lot of um of modern people who may not be as familiar with Dia de los Muertos and its history, I feel like a lot of people got educated through the movie Coco and I felt like that was a lot of the ways that they described it were just so very clear about like the petals of the flowers is the pathway and if you you don't have the picture on the altar of your if you're not on an altar you can't cross through. Um and that what the, the like leaving out um, the offerings for the food and it's like oh these are really good and how they're they're seeing the babies and things. Um, what did you think of of Coco? Is there did you feel like that was accurate to the practices in general of Dia de los Muertos or applicable to what you and your family do? It Coco is a really beautiful movie. I absolutely love it, and it's a really good way to introduce people to what the holiday is about. Um, I will say that they focus more on the way it's celebrated in Mexico because Dia de los Muertos is not just a Mexican holiday, which is what most people think. It is an indigenous holiday and there were natives all over Central America. Um, For the Maya, we went as far as into Nicaragua, um, not fully dominating Nicaragua and everything, but El Salvador, um, Honduras, 
uh, especially in Guatemala. Um, so it's a really big Central American holiday. And every, um, I want to see every region has, I guess, like, it looks almost the same everywhere, but it's celebrated just a tiny bit differently. So there's variations of different things. So for example, in Mexico, they have more of the monarch celebration because of the huge migration pattern of the monarchs. They come to a specific point in Mexico and that for them is the returning of the souls. But you're not going to find that same celebration in Honduras where the, uh, the, the Maya people are right now. That's not part of their celebration. I mean, it's not something that's exclusive and everything, but, um, but you're going to find variations. Um, so for me, Coco is a really good introduction to what the holiday is about in terms of like the rituals of, you know, having the ofrenda, having the pictures up of your loved ones, um, definitely baking, uh, things and putting it on the altar and having it, uh, for your loved ones to come and, and munch on it, their offerings, um, having lots of flowers, uh, they have mostly marigolds, and I, I love marigolds, but just flowers all around um, because you are celebrating life. Um, so, yeah, cocoa for me is a really good representation. I feel like it was it was really exciting for me when that movie came out because it's, you know, Dia de los Muertos is also very similar to Samhain, and... It was like incredible for me as someone who's always, you know, put out food, you know, for Samhain and for the ancestors and who's always, you know, had an altar and things like that to see other people, you know, talking about doing those same things. Yeah. When, you know, a year before they would have been like, you do what? You know, <laughs> all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, we should do that. Let's put out a picture of grandma. Let's do this. It was so cool to me when when these little kind of pop culture mo moments or, or, you know, society moments kind of open this window and make something that's so beautiful, not scary. And it was, they, they did it beautifully. I, I have to admit, I mean, they took the time to make it culturally like correct. And even like the story that they, that they did in Coco about, you know, like Miguel and everything, like it was just really, really, well done. Um, I, I also like the fact that people now understand a little bit more about what we do. Like you said, like a year ago, people would be like, wait, what? You know, like yeah. <laughs> they would give us some very, very weird looks. Now it's like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. Like I understand what you're celebrating. So it's pretty nice. But so what is, so what is something that you and your family, like what would you, what are your plans for Dia de los Muertos? Well, we, I want to say like two days before is when we fully get the altar dress. Like right now it's pretty dressed up, but without things that are perishable. Also, cause I live in Florida and there's ants. <laughs> so, um, I have like the basic decorations that are perishable. Um, two days before I will cut marigolds. I grow some here and depending on how much I have here, I might have to go out and get more, but, um, I will cut some and like put them all over the altar and have the kids help arrange them and everything. Um, we will take out our pictures. And of course I'll make sure that um, whoever knew has passed away that we want to honor, we print up their pictures, um, start getting together the food that we're going to have on there. Like I said, I, I usually put chocolate because 
chocolate is the food of the gods. So it, it really is in most of our, our rituals. Is it ever? Yeah. Oh, yes. I actually just told my kids the story of like the Mayan story of how chocolate came to our people and like the gods are jealous because one of the gods gave it to us and it was a really fun story. <laughs> so now they understand. Would you, would you tell it to us too? When, would you tell it to us too? Yeah, I was going to say that. Will you tell us, uh, will you say, will you let us know what that is? Okay. So in a very, I guess, quick format, um, one of the gods was in love with the Maya people and he always would give us uh, different treats and he wanted to give us um, cacao, which is, you know, the, the cacao tree. But the other gods were like, no, this is our food. This is sacred. You cannot give it to them, no matter how much you love them, no matter what they do for us. Um, and he was just kind of like on the sly, like, well, they won't know if I just slip them a pod <laughs> kind of thing. And um, so he taught them how to grow it, how to roast the beans, how to make the chocolate. And then another god found out and was like absolutely pissed off and told everyone else. But um, it's it's pretty like if I have a book and it's upstairs, but <laughs> it's a really, really awesome uh, tale about how it was the food of the gods and you know, them giving that to us was super sacred. Um, I should say one guy was Kuku Khan. He, he gave it to us and it was super sacred. And from there, we use it to honor them. So when we eat it, we are taking that offering and like into ourselves and we are honoring them. And so for us, like, I love chocolate, but I don't eat it all the time. I'm very mindful of how I eat my chocolate or if I get it from somewhere, I bless my chocolate or I say, you know, I'm grateful for this gift. And then we eat it. So um, now the kids know like the story, like the history of our people for when it comes to chocolate and why, why we have it in our rituals. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. Yeah, I thank had you. I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. I never heard that story before. And that's, Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that either. So thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) Another thing that people would find, I think, familiar, uh, I think most witches probably love them, are the sugar skulls Uh, that people decorate and whatnot and often put on the ofrenda. Is that something that you guys usually do or... Well, nowadays the sugar skulls actually have um, egg. And so we are actually vegan. Okay. Um... And my son actually has an egg allergy and I'm intolerant. So we just completely avoid it. <laughs> but we, um, old school, they wouldn't use the same ingredients. Um, uh, in my bio, it spoke about decolonizing. Well, we try to stick to foods that our ancestors ate. So they didn't have certain foods like the way they did now. So nowadays the, the sugar skulls are made with like icing that has like milk and egg and things like that. So they would use, um, other ingredients. Like I believe the recipe that we're using this year is made with quinoa. Um, and so we have like the mold and we're going to basically have, uh, Oh, was it quinoa? It was quinoa and something else that we have to like pop and, kind of almost like a popping corn and um, we're going to like form it into the skull and it's going to have a little bit of chocolate in it, of course. (laughs) And um, we're going to make sure it hardens and then we'll put it like the day of outside onto the altar. But um, it's the first time that the kids are going to be creating that. So I'm pretty excited about that. When I was younger and I didn't have kids to take trick-or-treating, 
I would put out Chinese food was my, was my <laughs> salon, my salon Halloween <laughs> dinner of choice. And then I had kids. And so I had to eat something quickly. And <laughs> so now it's pizza. So they get pizza and wine. And I just, it's the cultural heritage and the, the offerings and the, the foods and everything is just so, I don't know. It's to me, I think, the altar, the friendas and the altars and things like that are, are so special to people who celebrate Dia de los Muertos, Samhain, um, Day of the Dead, that I think it's kind of funny that food also seems to play such a significant part of it. Oh, food always plays a significant part of it. <laughs> In any Hispanic like region, you're always going to find like food is the majority of celebration. Are there certain foods that kind of are the ones that you like to leave out or that you kind of feel like these are the real goodies? I know you mentioned chocolate. Chocolate is, yes, chocolate always. Um, I always like to leave out corn, actually. And that's more of a cultural thing because the Maya are made from corn. And there's a whole another tale involving that. But um, so I try to leave just a small offering of corn. Even like when we do all of our harvest festivals, we always partake in something that is made of corn. So I try to make sure that I put that on the altar in one format or another, whether it's like cornmeal or just like if I have fresh corn on the cob, I won't cook it. I'll just like leave it out because for us, that's very symbolic of like what we're made of and that we go back into the earth. Um, let's see what else I do. I know I like to make like kind of like sweeter things, um, cause you want to like appease the spirits. I, I leave out, uh, sweeter little treats kind of like, you know, maybe the bread or the cup, even cupcakes. And, um, we like to leave out shots of liquor. Nice. <laughs> yes. You cannot have an ofrenda without having some liquor on there. So like every, uh, country has like their own preference, you know, whether it's tequila or some rum, um, either way, like, you give it out there, you you let the, the spirits have it and you let them bless it. And then you can also like take shots from that too. I think that's so fun. Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I think I told this story before where one of my favorite Samhain memories was once when I woke up in the middle of the night and there was literally a party in my house and I could hear people laughing and drinking and glasses clinking and you know, and, and like, not like the fun laughing, like, like, like almost like there's a frat party in my house, like the obnoxious, <laughs> uproarious laughing and hysterical. And you can tell people are just like three sheets. And, um, that was one of my favorite memory. It's only, it only ever happened that one year where I had something that powerful, but, or, or I literally had to say, I'm so glad you guys are having fun and enjoying the food and the drinks, but I really have to work tomorrow. Can you please let me go back to sleep? And they're like, shh, shh, she has to work. Shh. <laughs> Sorry. And I just remember, I literally laughed myself to sleep. I was just like, I, I can't believe that just happened. Like what? what? It was just so, it was so funny, but you know, to me, I, I like kind of how you said, you know, there has to be booze. You know, there has to be yeah. like this. It's, is, it's an offering. Yeah. This is, this is a fun time. You know, this is. Yeah. My husband swears that his ancestors as well as mine need fried chicken, which I'm like, wow, what a coincidence. That is also your favorite meal. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're like, that's funny. That's funny. And, and he's like, I'm like, your ancestors are Polish. 
Italian, but they're craving Southern foods. He's like, yeah, they really liked it last year. I'm like, did they? <laughs> Nothing to do with that. You also liked it. He's like, not at all, honey. Just <laughs> yeah, I find like for, for me, when I put out food for Samhain, I tend to do one of two things. Either I gravitate towards a food or a liquor or a um, or a beverage that is kind of linked towards my ancestral heritage, or I make something specifically for an ancestor that I want to call in. So like if it's someone that I really want, um, I might make something separate for them as well. Like, oh, I know that my mom loved this one thing, so I'm going to incorporate that into the meal. I think that makes sense. I think I've often wondered why for the, I mean, I'm talking a decade, it was Chinese food. And I've always kind of like, I've thought back later to why, why was it that? And I thought about it and it was, honestly, it was because when you're younger, like Chinese food's actually expensive. And so it was, for me, it was like, it was something special. Like, it's not something I can afford that often. And so for me, it was like, this, you know, it was exciting to me to, to kind of get that more expensive meal and then share it. And, and put that out there. And so for me, it was kind of like, that was why it kind of had that significance for me was because, you know, that's not something I could just order whatever I wanted. That was something that was more expensive and, and it was a special thing. And so that was always really fun for me. And now I have children, so I'm not allowed to have special things. So <laughs> now it's all about practical. So now yeah. pizza. Here's your pizza and wine. <laughs> I love that. More practical. I have to say that definitely my rituals have become a lot more practical. Um, <laughs> I still leave like when you do offerings, you still leave like as much of a top notch offering as you can. But I mean, it's like rituals are way more messier with kids, but in a way that's good. Like you evolve as a person with your magic when you involve your kids in it. Absolutely. Is there a certain way that you, what was there a story that went along with kind of how you explained Dia de los Muertos to your children? I mean, well, they've seen like, they've seen Coco, they've seen Book of Life. Um, so we have a few books that um, will touch on the subject of the holiday. It's just really about exposure. Yeah. Um it's, this is all that they've known. This is what they've been raised in. And so they kind of think everyone celebrates like this. And I'm like, well, no, not everyone, you know, not everyone's a witch. And and it, it's funny too, because like you said, it's just kind of all they know. Yeah. And it was funny for me because I've, I've always put out food. And um, I don't think necessarily, depending on when I would do it, the kids always knew, right, every year that I would put out food because it was always – it was oftentimes the day is so crazy. It would oftentimes be something I would do after I tuck them in after trick or treating. Yeah. And so, so they'd usually wake up and like see, see it the next morning, but they didn't necessarily see me like put out all the food and, and do all my stuff. And so, um, it was, it was amazing for me when we watched the movie Coco for the first time, when my daughter looked at me and she goes, is that why you put food out? And I was <laughs> like, we never had like the convo really she just knew it was something we did but then she's literally watching an entire movie explaining why this is why we do what we do and it was just amazing to me to watch all those light bulbs just kind of come on yeah I think like it's for us it's more like 
like it's part of their everyday life. And then like, we always talk about it and it's kind of like, like we have our circle time cause we homeschool and part of our circle time is like pagan studies. So like if it's fall equinox and we're talking about fall, we're talking about gratefulness and service to our community. So as we go along the year, you know, they're like learning like a little bit more every year kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, we use a lot of uh, books and movies whenever we can because, you know, my kids are super visual like that. Um, and that's how they absorb information. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just constant exposure. Like I said, it, at one point they're just like, what do you mean like other people don't do this? <laughs> I was like, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's just funny. Like, for example, I took them to a uh, grotto in Portland a few years ago where they have lights and a huge nativity and choirs. And it's just beautifully done with lights and it's just stunning. And I decided I've never seen that. And I've lived here, you know, most of my life, let's go see these beautiful lights. And we went and it was just fun. And the kids had a great time and we come up on this huge nativity scene. And as soon as we walk up, my daughter goes, what is this? <laughs> what is this old woman just her head almost snapped. She turned around so fast and just gave me the eagle eye. And it was the first time I thought about it. And I'm like, why would she know what, you know what I mean? Like it had never occurred to me that she has no idea what this is or what relevance this has yeah. in this setting. And it occurred to me like, how would she know? Like this, this is not, anything she's been exposed to. And oh my so- God. My kids are the same way. Um, I think it was last year. Um, <laughs> like they, we always do holidays around the world. And I tried to give them a little bit of, you know, different celebrations, but there was um, once a, a, one of the planes in the sky that like right with the smoke and um, they put down like, Jesus loves you. And they're like, who's Jesus? <laughs> yep. And I live in the South. So everyone looked at us. And was like, yep. oh, They're like, what is wrong with you? My daughter like, okay, look, not a- everyone believes in Jesus. In a crowded room once said, what's church? Oh, yeah. And the looks were just, and even it's funny. Cause even I, my first question is like, what do you mean? What is church? And then I was like, why would you know what church you like? <laughs> Why would you know what that is? Like, but I was, was just, just so, so oh, yeah. I was just so proud of both of you, Kanani, in that moment when you're like, my daughter doesn't know what church is. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you make yeah, Nixon Coco proud. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with church because we have a lot of witches that are churchgoers, but it's also really hilarious that there's some witchlets out there that don't know who Jesus or the church is. The more, I mean, the more exposure we get to other practices, you know, like you said, in these, in these, in films that are, that are mainstream or in places that are mainstream, it's so nice because we get to see that window into another practice because I think people are afraid to ask, you know, I think they're afraid to ask because they, sometimes it's because they, they don't know how to phrase it. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's because they don't want to be disrespectful, you know? Um, and so I love, I love that. I, I've, I was, a super fortunate to, I was down, I actually got to, um, to see and, uh, and, and observe some of the Dia de los Muertos practices. Um, I was down performing a number of years ago in Oaxaca city. Um, and it was right around that time period. And I had a performance a few days earlier, totally obviously unrelated to, um, the festivities that were happening on. 
but it was amazing to be able to witness and watch the practices. And I was so moved by um, how beautiful they were, both in and, and just really truly how beautiful they were in honoring the people that had passed. And I know that we are seeing more and more images um, uh, within our popular culture. And my question, I guess, was, you know, when people see these things and uh, and they get to appreciate them and, you know, integrate them in per perhaps to some of their practices, what's a good way to do that in a respectful way for the culture? You know, we obviously want to be respectful for the culture, the indigenous cultures and the other culture pra cultural practices. But do you have suggestions for people that are witnessing or wanting to, um, you know, that are inspired by some of those practices to approach that in a culturally sensitive way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because we get asked a lot about what we do on Halloween. And now more recently, they're like, oh, do you celebrate Dia de los Muertos? What do you do on Dia de los Muertos? So I always say that we celebrate Halloween on the 31st, which like my kids and I go trick-or-treating. And then on the 1st and 2nd, you know, like that's when we have our, you know, our Dia de los Muertos celebration. Um, what we do is tied to our culture. But if you're not within the culture, then there is still a way for you to honor your ancestors um, taking in certain elements, like putting out pictures. It's it's very similar to Osawan in that, in that aspect where you're honoring your ancestors or you're honoring people that you admire that have passed away. So for example, to people that we're adding to our altar this year that is not our family, but we know that we want to honor them because they have a deep meaning for us is Chadwick and RBG. So we're adding them to the altar and we'll be making sure that we put, you know, extra flowers out around them because they just, you know, were, they just passed away this year. Um, so my advice for people who want to start incorporating, but they're not exactly part of the culture is maybe look into your culture to see if there are certain things to do to honor people who have passed away. Um, definitely leaving out photos, um, eating a meal that you think that your ancestor loved, incorporating that into your dinner or leaving something out, you know, if you are able to, um, having something every year that you can create a small ritual of your own. So for us, it's, we do it every year. It's a reminder of us of, you know, that our loved ones are still there so long as we keep them alive. So that is not necessarily something that is only for our culture. It is in almost every native culture. They find a way to honor their ancestors in one way or another, whether it's planting a tree, you know, whether it is doing a certain service in that person's honor. So you can incorporate a lot of different things and make your own kind of ritual to do around this time of the year, every year. I love that. Yeah, definitely the the honoring of ancestors you see across many different cultures. And I think that's a great way to say it because, you know, I think it's important to be aware, obviously, that you're not taking very, very, very culturally specific rituals. Like, you know, there's, and, and, and to respect that because I know that there's a lot of that um, that happens within, you know, magical communities. And so thank you for saying that. It's really helpful, I think, for all of us to be able to discuss that. Um, and I love those suggestions and ideas. I think I always try and dig into, um, you know, how to integrate that from a cultural perspective from my own ancestors and also for people, and I, and I know we've said this before, 
for people that don't perhaps know their ancestry, you can always connect with land spirits specific to the land that you're on mm-hmm. um, or nature spirits. Um, if, if, or in it, again, it doesn't even have to, ancestors don't have to be people that you're blood related to. They can be people that have inspired you yes. um, that, that are your, that are your chosen family or like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like she'll definitely be honored at my Samhain table for everything she's done for um, for us to make it a safer, more inclusive space in our country. So I also like that you kind of said, you know, it doesn't just have to be food or items. You can also honor them in service. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing to remind people as well. I have a, a very practical question that a lot of people ask me, and I honestly don't always know what to say. And that's what to do with the food offerings when they're done. I know some people take them to parks, um, which can be good. It can also be challenging for wildlife. Um, there's people that some people will talk about that throwing it away. It can be very disrespectful. And then there's different traditions about whether you consume the food yourself that is left for your ancestors. So I'd love to hear Monica from you. What do you all do with the food offerings, um, after, after the ritual is done? Yes, that is a very, very important question. Um, you need to know a little bit about your area where you live. Um, if you see before I would live in New York City, so I had a small place where I can leave out food that wasn't harmful to animals in the area and it would be okay. Would I necessarily do that here in Central Florida where I'm surrounded by a lot more animals? Um, no, and I would never leave chocolate out at all because I know that it can harm a lot of animals. So what we do is we will have food on the altar to bless and consume so that we're taking like them into us, keeping their memory alive within us. And there are some things that are food to offer and we leave it outside. So remember how I was talking about like the corn, I would always have something to represent corn. Corn is safe enough to leave outside. And I know that it it is not like if I leave cornmeal outside, it's not going to harm another animal. So we're very, very aware in our household about, you know, our environment. And when we do offerings that it's not going to leave a negative impact. And you definitely need to know what animals are in your area so that you are not accidentally hurting or poisoning them by leaving out something that is not edible. Um, so yes, that, that's a really, really good question. And it's something that you need to consider with what you're going to offer and how you will, you know, like I, I truly don't believe in disposing, like throwing an offering in the trash. For me personally, in our practice, that is so disrespectful. You never waste food ever. Like I don't know any Hispanic person that ever wastes food. That's just something that's ingrained into us because we were, most of us were bought up with very little to have and eat. So you never throw an offering out. You can give it as an offering and then use that offering to consume it and say, I'm taking it in, I'm taking a little bit of you into me. I'm honoring you and putting that into me. Or if you have a safe enough offering to offer outside, then you can do that. So if you have like, if you have a uh, wine and you have like a certain spot in your garden or something that you don't mind pouring wine into the ground, you can do that. If you have flowers, you can offer flowers and then leave that outside. That's not a problem. But when it comes to food, you definitely need to be way more careful. I I um, appreciate you saying that and affirming because I know some people are like, "What eat the what eat the food for the ancestors?" And if that um, what my husband and I have started doing is we set out the Samhain supper and, um, on the table. So a nice 
bountiful plate of food at the table. And that's for the ancestors. And then we put it in the oven overnight. And the next day, um, that's what we eat. And we eat it cold. So the idea is we gave it to them while it was fresh and it was hot. And so the gift was, was eating the food while it was still super fresh. And then we'll consume it because their ancestors are in us. Because I also just imagine these, <laughs> imagine these old um, these old people from the mountains of North Carolina looking like, like, honey, you gonna throw that out? You're not gonna throw that out? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, I know some of my ancestors would be pissed if they saw food being thrown out. Yeah, my ancestors would be too. I feel like really bad stuff would happen that day of. <laughs> like yeah. you did our offering? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Again, like you said, I've, I've been to a lot of ceremonies where the food is eaten right away. So of course there's, that's an absolutely valid option if that's what people choose to do. And then of course there's the other option where it's like, Hey, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to eat my ancestors food, but what my offering is going to be is, is when it's good and fresh and crisp and hot, that's what they get. And I'll eat their cold leftovers. That's kind of like what we do. Like we have it on the altar for a little bit, but we can't, like, we personally can't leave it out all night or else we'll have ants crawling all over. So it's something that we leave out on the altar for a little bit. And then if anything, we will eat some of it unless it's safe to put outside. And also like I have a garden, so I'm just like, is something like going to come in here and destroy my plants? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah, right. You're like, don't do it. I don't I don't want that they're gonna... in the neighborhood. I don't want that cougar in my yard. So I'm not leaving out anything with that cougar. Yeah. You're like, I don't want that. I really nope. want the possum to come back into my yard and live here for another two months. Do I want rats to come and like, you know, destroy my milkweed again? <laughs> yeah, you're like, no, no thank you. Um, <laughs> Hey friends, quick content note, our listener question this week has to do with pregnancy and child loss. If this is not something that you're in a good space to hear about right now, we recommend skipping ahead nine minutes to hear the end of our interview with Monica. We actually have a listener question we were hoping that you could help us out with. Okay. The listener question is, I am messaging today with a very personal question. I recently found out that I'm pregnant with baby number three. Yay. A little history. My first pregnancy was lost at seven weeks. My second resulted in an emergency C-section of a beautiful baby boy who is now thriving and five years old. Three pregnancies after my son were lost early on. My sixth pregnancy resulted in the birth of my second beautiful, healthy baby boy. Here is my question. While I know there isn't much I can do to help baby stick, My body will do what it needs. What can I do to ease the stress and anxiety of the uncertainty of the first trimester? I'm scared and a little helpless. Bringing peace and calm in is going to be the best thing I can do for myself and baby right now. Thank you so much for your time and energy. Blessed be. What kind of, are there any suggestions you might have for her to kind of just try and stay calm at this time? Well, what I'm getting from that question is that she has a lot of anxiety and it's completely understandable and it's completely valid to have anxiety after struggling for so long. Um, For me, how I handle anxiety that won't let up, um, I do have a worry box. So if it's really bad, I will write some, I will write my worry down on the piece of paper. I will close it. And there's like a little chant on top of the worry box. Now for someone who might not have a worry box, there are two things that they can do. They can write a very simple phrase or word on a bay leaf and they can burn it. And if they can burn it safely somewhere in their home or even outside, 
um, that's one way to kind of rid of get rid of it and dispel it. We use bay leaves a lot for that as well. Um, if having a bay leaf is not an option, um, writing it on a piece of paper and again, burning it as well. Um, the point is to not obsess over the worry. It's to take the worry, take the anxiety and face it and acknowledge it. This is what I'm worried about. This is what I can control. This is what I cannot control. And then it's like a small ritual of giving that worry up. I can't control it. This is out of my hands. I am burning this right now. So that's how I usually handle um, anxiety for, for very big situations. I also like to carry stones. I use stones a lot in my practice. And three stones come to mind for this situation. Um, when it comes to anxiety, I like to use citrine, amethyst, and I want to say that I, I like to use smoky quartz because it's pretty grounding. So all three have to do with a different chakra and it, it helps to ground you and ease your anxiety. Um, and I would suggest um, carrying those three stones with you. And whenever you feel like you need to ground it to hold them in your hand, not just in the pouch, but take them out and put them in your hand and hold them and take deep, deep breaths. Um, it's something that my kids actually and I like to do. We stop and we take deep breaths. And I'm talking about like for at least a minute, inhale as much air as your lungs can get and then slowly exhale it and do that for a minute with the stones um, and just ground yourself in order to release the worry. You Once you burn the worry, you have to literally force your mind not to think about it. Um, you just say, I'm not going to dwell on this. I'm going to think about something else. And it's forcing your mind kind of to go in a different direction. Like, especially if it's something that you can't control and say, no, I'm, I'm not, I release that worry. I'm going to be thinking about this, something that I can control and then do that, that said activity or whatever. So like breathing, you can control your breathing. I'm going to focus on my breathing right now. I'm going to focus on what is around me. What, you know, if I feel the sun in my skin, uh, I got, I'm going to wash my hands and, and wash this away, wash my worries away. So those are some of the things that I personally do to get rid of, you know, anxiety that just won't let up on me. This is so helpful. And I'm so thankful that you've said all this because I know that's, um, I don't always have a good practice for anxiety, especially anxiety over the body. So I know I'm going to be embracing this. Um, I wanted to offer some, um, some other practice, like additional tools to, um, this listener as well. Cause I, I am someone who's experienced pregnancy loss and, um, infertility and, you know, the IVF process, which is all just absolutely, all it's absolutely excruciating. Um, I think what I would, when people ask me what my advice is on these things, I say, first of all, don't Google anything ever. <laughs> just, yeah. just, just tell yourself, I am not Googling anything except um, celebrity weddings and uh, <laughs> maybe some like, and just like, or maybe some, you know, YouTube videos on baking, just things that are totally not involved with this at all. But like, don't Google anything about, what, you know, ca causes of miscarriage, this or that. It's so specific and unique. And also- and Don't go down the rabbit hole, basically. <laughs> like, oh, just no. no, you will find, whatever it is you're worried about, you will find something to confirm it. Don't, even if it's in the deepest recesses of those rabbit holes. And I would also um, try to 
not become anxious over your anxiety. It is an old wives tale that, um, stress causes miscarriage, stress causes, um, infertility. Cause there are people that are getting pregnant and having babies in the most extreme stress that this planet has to offer, you know, like intense war zones, refugee camps, famines, um, natural disasters, domestic violence, and people get pregnant and stay pregnant during those conditions. So if you're worried that your anxiety is going to cause problems for you, it's not, you know, the only, the only anxiety it's going to cause is for your mind, not your body. Right. Um, so, and I would also be careful which witches you talk to about this because witches are so well-meaning. But when I came out forward about my miscarriage, I had lots of witches texting me saying, trying to give me soothing meditation, saying that stress was a problem for me, that they could feel it. And that um, also I got a, a Yule card that wished me, my husband, and our spirit baby a happy new year, which was not anything I wanted to get. Wow. So, yeah. So I would just be really, really strategic about who you talk to. Everybody means really well. And it's sometimes you can get stuff that you just don't need. So those are the practical advices for advices. <laughs> and practical advices. Monica, I love your suggestions about the different stones. And I don't always think to use stones, but I feel like the combination you've suggested would be just really effective on overall, overall peace. So I, I'm hoping our, our listener takes that to mind. Yeah. I think those were some really, really tremendous suggestions. Um, also, Monica, how can people find you? Um, on social media. <laughs> um, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram. So on Facebook, it's just Monica Devane. And then um, for Instagram, it's uh, the underscore mer underscore witch. So the mer witch. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. I think that this was awesome. It was fun to, it was kind of fun to talk to someone about uh you know, their, their own family practices and, and Dia de los Muertos. And this is only the best time of the year. So anytime you get to talk about this stuff, it's, it's always fabulous. I love so it. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you so much to all of our listeners for listening. If you want to support the show, the best way is to subscribe and spread the word. You can also please consider leaving us a rating and review us on Apple podcasts. You can also buy us a coffee or check out our merch on our Etsy store. For bonus content, become a supporter on Patreon. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question to answer on a future episode, you can go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moding that shit, and we'll talk to you next week. Yay! Bye! <laughs> Yay! Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes or to ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. Something about animals. I don't know. Pigs. I, I get pigs. Pigs work for me. I can I can deal with pigs. I mean, pigs are great. Pigs are amazing. And their noises are fabulous. They're so annoying. It's amazing. They are really, like, when he wants something, you're going to know. He's very, <laughs> he's going to tell you. I respect that. Loudly and clearly that he wants food more attention, some scratches. Oh, he hears you through the window. He hears you, so he must let you know that he's outside the window, so he's going to scream there, too. And it is like a loud...